Episode 14 features Drake Berberet, who is the VP of Performance at Hawken Dynamics, which is a company that provides software and hardware for force plates to gather data about neuromuscular performance in athletes. Drake also does brand marketing for Hawken Dynamics and is a gym owner as well. We talked about the basics surrounding force plates, how to set up a system to utilize them practically, and what he suggests is a good and effective way to aggregate the data to make sense for your population. We also touched on the business side of how you can utilize force plates in your private facility to generate income by providing a unique product to athletes, teams, and other avenues. This episode is available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So welcome back to the podcast. We have, I think, a unique guest with us today. So I appreciate you coming on. This is Drake Berberet of Hawking Dynamics. So I, I'm excited for the conversation that we're about to have in, in regards to force plates and, and kind of everything that encompasses using force plates. So can you kind of describe for us just, you know, your role and who you are and what you do? Yeah. So uh, my name is Drake Berberet. Um, I am a VP at, at Hawking Dynamics, um, VP of performance and, and brand marketing so that Kind of means I help on the performance side and also um, still run most of our, our marketing or more so the message that we're trying to, to spread to the people um, that we're selling to. So coaches, uh, rehab professionals, um, or, orthopedic surgeons, military, uh, we work with a lot of different unique populations here at Hawken, not just those in sport. So we're really trying to convey that message to a wide range of people. Um, so my role here is to help uh, carry on that message through our marketing, uh, through the different events that we do, uh, speakings, et cetera, uh, but still also helping uh, coaches, clinicians, any practitioner really apply it in their day-to-day practice. So what's your background and how did you get uh, into doing something like this? Yeah, so uh, right before this, I was actually a a sports scientist with Illinois basketball. Um, That was kind of my second experience in the sports under the sports science realm. Uh, my first taste of it was actually at a place in Denver, Colorado called Resilience Code. Um, I worked underneath Max Schmarzo. So you know, a lot of people know him as Strong by Science. Um, total wealth of, of information and a great person to really learn sports science from uh, right out of the gate. But we worked out at this, it was actually a functional medicine clinic. It was just south of Denver. Um, so there was functional medicine going on, um, but they were also uh, spine and, and brain surgeons that just happened to be also functional medicine uh, licensed practitioners. So, you know, some days they would be in surgery performing uh, spine and brain surgeries, and then other days they would be in the practice. We'd have, um, we were like, we catered to like really elite athletes and then people that could afford it. So, that really came down to like business executives. So they would fly in for like the weekend. Um, we would do, I wouldn't do it, but we would, we would get the information, but we do like blood panels on them. Um, pretty much try to figure out every single thing about their health, this person. Um, and then we would do a performance evaluation as well. Um, that would take you know, probably three, four hours. Um, but we had we had like every single piece of technology that you could have wanted for sports science at the time. Um, so we had like we had force plates. We were using Burtec. 
uh, Naraxon software, all the VBTs. We had like every single type of woodway treadmill that was ever invented. Um, we had the DynaVision or the, yeah, the Dyna, DynaVision. Um, we had GPS, radar guns, like could take them out to the field, sprint them, run 40s on them. Any, anything that was really available at that time we had and we were implementing um, within these unique populations. So that was my first taste and got exposed to all that tech early, which was great. Um, but before that, I, I was a strength coach. So um, I went to school actually first for physical therapy, uh, realized quickly that I could be more on the preventative side of it than after the injury actually happens, which I didn't know was an option at the time when I went into college. So um, switched to strength conditioning shortly after when I was in undergrad, um, went and got my master's after, was a strength coach for a little bit at a few different spots um, before I kind of shifted into um, into the sports science realm. Um, it was kind of a lot there, but um, kind of have a little bit of, of business experience too um, through my some, some of my small businesses that have tied into hawking pretty nicely actually, which have given me the skills to uh, market, sell things, uh, portray our, our brand. Um, so that's kind of how it uh, led to hawking. Yeah, I mean that's, that's a lot to unpack, and that's that's a great story. And I think a lot of, I mean, I think a lot of young strength coaches, young people, I think hearing those stories are valuable, just because it's not like you just became the VP of Hawking. It took a long time to get there and kind of finding what you wanted to do in your passion. Um, I, I kind of want to jump <clears throat> straight into kind of the force plate side of things. Um, and Drake, you know, for the listeners, helped me this offseason um, with my client and doing kind of some of this stuff. So I, I have a little bit of an understanding of kind of what we'll talk about and to kind of help guide it a little bit because I think our conversations were super valuable for me. Um, so I think it'll be super valuable for a lot of people that are listening. Um, my first point, just to kind of let you start, kind of is my belief and what I believed was that kind of force plates were so complicated. And is it going to take away from the training that I'm doing and what I know really well? And how would I implement it? How would I use it? Um, so kind of kind of touch on that a little bit, because I, I think when I even when I talk to some young strength coaches now and I talk about force plates or talk about how I use them, they're just like, oh, it's so complicated. There's so many numbers. There's so many of that. I don't have the time to do it. Um, so kind of touch on that a little bit um, and kind of how they're not so complicated and how they can be implemented pretty easily. Um, and then we'll kind of go from there, I think. Yeah, historically, they have been complicated. So like my first experience with plates was in undergrad. Uh, they were Burtek plates in the ground. We, there wasn't really a software connected to them. We had to we collected the data and then we had a process at MATLAB. We had to take it home. And then like two days later, we went back in to the lecture and like had to report jump height or some sort of finding that we had for two differences, like difference between two jumpers. So historically, they have been very difficult to use um, just as of recently with the introduction of like portable force plates um, and software that is now a lot more user friendly. Um, they have been adopted much more, obviously, because they can be used in a simpler way. Um, it's probably been within like the last seven to 10 years, I would say this has happened. Um, but Hawking has been around for about six years now. So since the end of 2016, 2017. Um, so we didn't invent the portable plate or the software that was easier to use than these research plates. 
Um, but what we did invent was the wireless force plate. So it allowed it to be more portable and then also a mobile software. So um, up until Hawken was created, you had to plug in the computer, uh, still had to be next to a wall. So you couldn't really transport the plates to where your athletes were going. So you couldn't, like we took them on the road, like you traveled with them all the time. But we, when I was at Illinois, we would take them to away games. Um, we would test in the, the practice facility. We would test in the weight room. We would test on, in the stadium. Um, so we could transport them where we were going to be at, where the players were going to be at. And we also didn't have to be next to an outlet or have our computer plugged in. So like we would collect data on a, a phone. So I could just have my phone in my pocket, wheel the plates up, test wherever we needed to be. Um, and that, like just the ability to collect data more frequently um, makes it easier to understand. And I kind of learned that like through my own my own doing. So um, we bought the Hawking plates as a customer first at Illinois. And Fletcher really bought them about two months before I got there at Illinois. Adam Fletcher's the head strength coach. Um, he had collected about two months of data. I get there, had some experience with plates and like, I knew how to use them from like a profiling standpoint, but from a, a day-to-day monitoring standpoint, um, hadn't used them that much. Um, so really the, the goal from that stamp, like from there was like, all right, how do we use these? Like we would look at like someone's sleep every, every night or uh, someone's heart rate every day, um, GPS within a session. Like, can we use source plates every day and make them valuable? Because um, it is most simple form. It's just a feedback mechanism. Um, maybe kind of going on a tangent there, but um, that's kind of the history of how plates went from comp more complicated to use to being much easier. Um, and I think as of recent, within the last probably two years um there's been systems built around like these portable plates that are easier to use that are kind of giving people the, the playbook um on how to use these but it's still being created every day i think yeah and so you know go into that system a little bit because i think i think with the conversation that we had um was one of my things was you know if you get someone to jump on them it gives you like i don't even know you you probably know the like 100 metrics and it's like, for a strength coach that has so much other stuff going on, it's like, what metrics do I look at? What am I actually, you know, what am I going to look at that will actually give me that understanding of, okay, readiness or the training that we're doing is actually working, those type of things. And I, I know, I think it's the ODS system. I don't know if you guys still use that, but kind of break that down a little bit so get a little bit more into like kind of the, I guess, how someone would actually get the force plates. They're portable. They're, you know, they're great. That's all perfect. But then how do I actually start to use them and kind of understand it a little bit? Yeah. So the ODS system, it's probably been around for about two years. Um, but up until then, there really wasn't a framework for selecting those metrics. Um, like you said, Jared, there's like our force plates sample a thousand times a second, which is a thousand hertz. So that means for a four second counter movement jump, there's 4,000 data points that are being collected. Um, that's the raw data. But then we also have calculated data, which are those hundreds of metrics that are being derived. So like our, our force, our power, our velocity, um, displacement, left versus right difference, like you get all those and then you get a lot of those within each phase too. 
So when you consider that, like, yeah, there's, there's hundreds of metrics. So it really becomes a problem of disseminating that massive list down um, for a lot of coaches when they go to apply the information that they receive. So I experienced that firsthand. That's, I think that's where I was going with that at, at Illinois. But um, basically Fletch said, hey, we have all this data. Let's start using it. And there really wasn't a, a playbook at that time. So trying to learn what, what actually matters, what metrics we should look at, um, I looked at the people that were writing like the majority of the research at this time. So it was like Dr. Jason Lake, uh, Dr. Peter Mundy, Paul Comfort, John McMahon, a bunch of, of researchers over in the UK. They were putting out really good information on force plates, but in the applied uh, setting. So I'm sitting at Illinois, like after we had our training session practice in the afternoon, had some downtime, but I'm, I'm getting on the phone with Jason Lake, uh, Peter Mundy, all those guys trying to understand like, all right, how is any of this stuff calculated? Um, how can I make sense of it in order to train these guys better or monitor their play throughout the season? So that's kind of where the framework started being developed. Um, but it really wasn't until Dr. Jason Lake put out a blog. It's about two years ago. It's on our it's on our blog site, but it is called the ODSF system is what he originally named it. Um, o stands for output. D stands for driver. S stands for strategy. Um, F stands for fluffy. We've we've since kind of eliminated that one because we didn't like over in the UK, they may call things kind of more how they are, but um, we didn't, we didn't want to be telling people, Hey, your metric that you actually enjoy using or find value in is fluffy. Like we think that's a, a fluffy metric. So we kind of just chopped that off and put it into ODS uh, categories only. And there is some sway within each metric, like some output metrics for the most part are output metrics. Those are things such as like your jump height, um, like your peak powers, uh, takeoff velocity, um, those are outputs. But your drivers and your strategies, like there is some sway, like uh, what may be a driver in one scenario could be a strategy in the other um, or vice versa. Like breaking rate of force development could be a driver or a strategy, um, depending on the rest of the metrics that you're, you're looking at. Um, but very generally, like a strategy metric, in combination with an output metric is going to be used for monitoring. Um, so a, an example of a strategy metric is a time-based metric, um, a displacement-based metric, or an asymmetry metric. So it's, all right, jump height's this, that's our output, but did they produce it within the same speed? Um, did they move further down in this jump than the time before? Or did they favor a left and a right limb more on this jump than they did the time before? Um, so that answers that question of monitoring. Um, we usually suggest like one key output and then two or three supporting strategy. So for me, I always, always tell people like time to take off, counter movement depth, um, and then I suggest an asymmetry metric as well, which we, we can talk more about asymmetry and depth if, we, if we'd like. Um, but then the D comes into play when you're more so profiling or benchmarking. Um, athletes. So the the D stands for driver, and that's the driver metrics are more so going to be used to compare um, an athlete A to athlete B or athlete A in two points in time, or a year a year between two years between three four, basically just showing has 
this driver metric um, change between those periods. And a driver metric, it, like a force is a great example of a driver metric. And when we suggest, like if I say, all right, we're going to pick a few drivers for this population that we're working with, usually tend to start with what matters for the sport before we pick our, our metrics. Um, but I always pick one on each side of the counter movement jump. So if we pick like average relative braking force, we're looking at their uh, relative ability to decelerate is, is how we could conceptually think of it. Um, but also pick the same one on the propulsive side. So average relative propulsive force. So we're looking at the same thing on both sides of the jump. Um, and then we're going to track that between two points in time or two athletes that we think should be alike and see which one's better. Talk a little bit about the logistics of taking a team through it. So in my experience, that was one of the hardest things was um, gathering the data logistically that made sense for the team's schedule. Um, and then in the private side versus, you know, maybe the collegiate side or the team side, it's different in how you'll utilize force plates, um, especially collecting the data because of the time constraint of that. So that was one of the hardest things that I found in the team setting was, was that in addition to how to use the data to drive decision-making, which is the most important aspect of force plates anyway. Uh, but can you talk a little bit about, you know, maybe some experiences you've had or how you um, consult with different teams or coaches on how to logistically, you know, collect data in a way that just makes sense? Yeah. So um, I think often like how many different populations are we actually working with at Hawken? Um, it, it's probably like, it's, I'm sure it's well over a hundred at this point. Um, so with that, like there's been a lot of opportunities over the last, like really five years to ask a lot of questions about, uh, different sports positions, different levels of play. Um, and not just sports, like we're talking like circuits, ballerina, um, military, like sometimes I have to Google, like what what this position does or what this this sport actually looks like their play because all of those questions are important before you suggest a metric or right. any sort of system for them to profile now it's different for every team like we you know customer gets their plates we do onboarding you know one to two sessions just getting them using the system effectively which some people it's really intuitive and they don't they don't really need that much support when they get set up um but after that point, then they have the opportunity to get on a, a call with me or we have some other people as well um, that can do this. But we ask those questions like, all right, you know, what is your experience with force plates? What is your experience with sports science in general? Because um, generally, like if if a coach is coming from like a, v, a force or a VBT background, like they're going to tend to understand like force plates a little better or at least how to understand the data they're seeing to apply it to the training. So we collect that information on the call, ask what they care about, ask what the sport coach cares about or whoever they're reporting to cares about. You know, sometimes that's the parent. Like we talked about in that private sector, they're reporting to a parent. So we have to frame things or help them frame things differently. Um, but it's really just matter. It's that call is like really trying to figure out, you know, where have you been? What do you understand? What do you care about? And then, you know, if you just need me to tell you, 10 metrics to use great here's 10 here's the 10 metrics that i would look at there's a lot of caveats to that we can help answer those caveats if we have a, a discussion for 30 minutes to an hour 
and then I can refine that list of 10. Say, hey, maybe instead of looking at average breaking force, like maybe we're going to look at breaking an impulse for your population. Um, different metrics, but they're both telling us something about the breaking phase, like the qualities that the athlete has in, within that phase. Um, so that's kind of, that's how that call goes down. Um, that would be like more of an advanced, like application-based call. And, but there, there does tend to be like commonalities within uh, sports and positions. So like, it hasn't been truly answered like within research, but there are some, some practitioners that are uh, able to do like some advanced stats, like friends of mine that I've talked to. Um, I'm actually I'm doing my PhD, but part of what I'm doing is trying to answer this question. So like, yeah, there may be like 50 available sports and there's say there's like three positions within each sport. There's going to be commonalities and metrics that make sense for like a soccer forward and a basketball forward or like a, a lacrosse, like whatever position. I don't know lacrosse that well. Or like a Nordic skier looks a lot like this person. So essentially trying to take this wide like options within sports and positions and then refine it down into hey these positions are actually a lot alike even though the sports are different the qualities that they ask are very similar um, we can use these metrics for them these metric makes more sense for th this population and so on and so forth and trying to refine that down into like maybe five five different clusters of metrics yeah i mean i think <clears throat> i think the population that we work with in the private sector more often is the kind of youth and high school um, trickling a little bit into college. Um, and I think I hear a lot more force plates and where I was at the last two years in the NBA, they're all over the place. Everybody's using them. Me and Lucas were talking off airs. You know, you have a strength coach, then you have four of you behind that strength coach doing all the data, um, similar in college. But when you go down to like youth and high school and trying to provide, you know, this service, you know, I guess a simple question to start is, do you think – youth and high school athletes should be getting tested. And then on top of that is what would be, what would you suggest as like frequency for that? Cause like you said, like you could look at stuff over time periods. So if you have a, you know, a 12 year old that's going to train with you till they're out of high school, you know, are they, are they just jumping, you know, quarterly or would you like, you know, kind of dive into that a little bit on the, you know, youth, youth slash like high school side and kind of your thoughts on, on them using the force plates and stuff. Yeah. Um, definitely should be testing younger athletes. Um, younger athletes tend to be, they tend to have more variability in their movement, which I'm sure a lot of, a lot of people listening, you guys know, just through working with that population. Um, but right off the top, I would say they could probably be tested less, but I kind of contradict myself right away saying that because they have more variability in movement. So if we tested them once a quarter and that day that we tested them, they had, they were, had a really bad day with, with how they're moving their body. We're going to capture a really bad uh, effort or attempt or data point that day. Whereas if we tested like, and this is kind of in the same realm of like profiling, like I never profile um, an athlete or an individual based on one, one day. I'll always take like a cluster of, of data points. So like, a week's worth of data, CMJ data, like we tested every day. I may take like their top two, I may take an average of it and then say, label that person as, hey, this is who they are. 
Um, same way with youth athletes. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't just test one day a quarter and then do it again for eight years. I would test like a pocket of time and then label them as that. Then you could wait a little bit, test them again next quarter, next month, um, so on and so forth. But I'm, I'm of the opinion that more frequency is always better. So like, and, but it's really based on your logistics. So if you can test every day, like test every single day. Um, but I understand the constraints of, of like the team setting, the travel schedule and the private sector, like parents aren't paying for their may not be paying for their kid to come every single day. So you may only have them once a week, um, within your constraints, test as frequently as possible. Um, and that really, I mean, that comes from my experiences at, at Illinois really, um, where we, we captured like 285, 86 days a year, um, on the force plates. So, you know, 365 days a year, that's a lot of attempts that we were, were able to capture. Um, and it, it was really just a barometer of like their movement day to day to day. Um, that's how we treated it. So short answer as frequently as possible. Um, and if you can't do that, then use like pockets of time. So like a week or one Monday, Monday A, and then the next Monday, pair those together, use their best or use an average. What are, what are some suggestions or some, maybe some unique ways to use force plates in the private setting that haven't been done to, to drive business, to, to, you know, to create more value or to create a better product in the private setting? Do you have any suggestions or just general thoughts on that? Because I think that could be, you know, an interesting way coaches in the private setting could, you know, set themselves apart as far as, you know, a business wise and even, you know, what their product is and how they're helping athletes in, in a unique way. Yeah. So I kind of like, that's where there's this fine line of like, uh, that use like me speaking on using the data to actually benefit the athlete, benefit the training. And then like myself as the business owner, like, all right, if I had, I do have a private gym, um, in Illinois still, but we don't, we don't have plates there, but if I had plates, I would be using that as a marketing tactic to get more people into the facility because, because, you know, like you can't operate a business if the business doesn't make money, can't support athletes then if there's no business. So there's a, a massive opportunity now and it's, it's not closing, but it's definitely like it's getting, it's closing by the day within the private gyms because more people are getting plates, but you know, if, if you buy plates and you start marketing those, Hey, this is what, you know, they've used these at the combine. They, they use these at all the top colleges. Um, you guys send your kid here because their goal is to get to college, to get to professionals. We're using the same tech. You can start marketing that, get more people in the door, um, get them in for free, test them. Or like you could even sell it as a service. Um, and actually go out and you could charge for the, the test. Like you could say, Hey, 50 bucks to get a counter movement jump at our facility. Um, we'll do a drop jump test for 20 extra dollars. We'll do an isometric test for $20 on top of that. You can start actually billing it as a, a service, um, instead of right. just a marketing tool to get people in the door. So that opportunity still exists for, a lot of private facilities, but like I said earlier, like it's closing every day. Cause I mean, we sell, like, we're not the only force plate player in the game, but we sell plates to private gyms every single day. So, you know, soon it will become saturated where it's not just you having the technology at your facility. 
Um, it's actually you producing the results with the technology. So right. the people that have adopted it first, they have the opportunity to say, yeah, great. The gym down the street just got the same technology that we have, but we have four years of data and now we're selling like our database and we can, we can actually say like, Hey, little Johnny, he was 12. Now he's 16. Here's his churn report. Here's how all the qualities that we've changed. Like we said, we would, and then you're selling your results within the data um, to that, that parent, whoever's paying. Uh, and I don't know if they were a first mover in this, but I think kind of to that point, P3, uh, Sports Science in Santa Barbara, I'm not sure if you're, if you're familiar, but I think they've done a really good job just from what I've seen, just from the outside looking in on um, creating like those cluster sets of different movers within the sport, um, particularly basketball. And, and they've done it in the private setting. I think they've done a good job of showing that value. Um, in showing kind of those trend reports and 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 how that can drive performance um, and injury prevention strategies, um, so I, I think that is kind of along the lines of what you're talking about. Um, now, Jared, I'm curious, how did you guys use force plates, and and how did that kind of drive what what you guys would do? Yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> Drake helped me immensely because, <laughs> like I said, with, like with John, I think. It, it was always time and being able to take the time to actually understand the metrics. Uh, I didn't have a lot of time to do that. And obviously with John, who's a high level athlete, um, I'd use Drake. <laughs> the simple answer is Drake helped me a ton to just look at it, you know, give me quick answers on like, this is what you're getting at. Um, I'm still learning them. I'll be the first one to say it. I don't, I, I would say I don't really know anything about force plates, um, but I'm learning every single day about it. And I think one of the things that <clears throat> Drake taught me was what you said a little bit earlier was like pick. I think we did eight metrics. Maybe we did like two or three outputs, few drivers, few strategies. And I just started to get really good at those. And that was all we followed. And it worked really well because it just guided some of our training, um, some of our readiness, um, all those type of things. Now, when I look at, away from that now and back in the private sector is kind of, I guess kind of one of the first conversations we had Drake and not to give like all the answers out, but if you're, if you are looking at testing a bunch of youth and high school kids, what, like how, how would you kind of set it up, I guess, in a sense to like kind of try to help some younger strength coaches like, okay, I'm going to go buy some plates. I understand them now. I get the OD, ODS system, but like, how do I start to, pick the outputs and the drivers and the strategies that make sense that I could just kind of look at in a snapshot because like I know Lucas trains hundreds of people a day. And so if you're jumping hundreds of people a day, it's like, how do I have time to go home then and look at everybody's data and then try to try to do that? So like, how, how would you simplify that? Cause I think that's one of the issues in the private side is that we get so busy and we don't have someone behind us. That's like, this is what's going on. Yeah. So I think for, for like the youth population, the ODS metrics that you would select, those can probably all be the same. Like you could have like an organizational list of, or facility list of metrics for athletes under 14 that we're going to look at because really at that point, like, yeah, they may, they may like have decided on one sport at that time or maybe not, but like really we're just trying to, and really improve all qualities and hope that we're just going to fix everything a little bit. And then that'll help them get better at their sport as they get older. Like then that's when it starts becoming more refined to like these metrics might make sense for this sport in this position. Um, 
but in terms of like testing a hundred athletes, taking all the data in, it is like, it is still a challenge. Like, I think we do, we do a good job like with a mobile app because a coach can actually like, if they hit play on the test, they watch it. It has like it right next to where they're like, if we have those eight metrics active on the tablet, that's in column one, uh, column two, you know, it could have their last attempt or it could have their last seven, last 10, whatever, um, average we have active and then it has a percent change in a red yellow green flag right next to it so that feedback in person within the session can tell the coach the trainer like hey this person is, is way down compared to where they've been you know i don't i don't maybe you don't have to go and adjust my plan like if they're using an app or a card or on the board like i don't need to actually go in and physically change it but now i know like hey this kid was red he was red today in all of his metrics like we're going to chop a, a couple of sets off the top. I'm just going to let them know. Like, at least I know the state that he is feeling. Cause like think about this all the time. Like we, we don't, we can't feel like what the athletes are feeling when we're prescribing the training. Like we can train ourselves really well. Cause like we know how we feel with travel day to day, um, the workouts that we have done, if we practice, played pickup, whatever. Um, but in the private sector, especially, it's really hard to understand like where the athletes have been two days, three days, four days before they actually get to you. Um, so that force plate allows you the chance to jump them, see if they're red, yellow, green, if they're feeling really good, maybe we go, we push it a little bit today. Um, if they're red back off. So that opportunity exists like right in the session. Um, but going back and looking at the data for a hundred athletes every single night, when you've worked, you know, 12, 14 hour days, it is challenging. Like I've done, I've been there, I've done it. Um, it really, it's creating a system. It's, it's taking a step back and trying to create a system that's sustainable. Um, I would probably just mostly use trend reports on a, a daily, every couple of day basis. Um, and then I would have a record of like, all right, this athlete's been here for four weeks. It's time for me to go in, generate a profile report and say, Hey, this is when you started. Here's the report now where you're at. Send it to the parent or the athlete. Show them the value of them being there for the first four weeks. Hopefully they sign up for another four weeks or however your your business model works. But it is challenging, but it's really just it's instead of diving way into the weeds, if you have more athletes, um, you just take a step back and look at a little less. But you're still like you're still looking at more than you were before like without plates or if you were using right. a jump mat, a vert tech, you're like, you could still just use the force plates to look at jump height, but now you're looking at a better measure of jump height, like the best way you could look at it. So yeah, that's just take a step back really, if you need to, until you have the bandwidth or a better system for a mass yeah, number of athletes. I think it was the like same for John, like answer. Cause it was like, you know, <clears throat> John didn't really like the force plates. <laughs> I remember I talked to Drake about that. So it wasn't about like trying to create this massive system and it was going to take all this time. It was just like, hey, get on them every single day, jump three times and kind of Drake helped me put a system in place of like the actual jumps that we did. And then just, you know, I would just kind of look at them later on and that would just guide what we were kind of doing. Um, but I like that because I think what you just said was very, you know, has me already thinking about like the private side and, and how you could kind of set it up and just, you know, cause I, the other thing about the Hawkins is you could kind of just click it, find your name, click that. And it could almost kind of run by itself. And then the software kind of 
holds that. So you just have that data and athletes can see it and all that kind of stuff. So I like that a lot. Yeah. Like one of the hardest things I have done with, within the force plates, like actually applying them myself is so like, I obviously came from Illinois. So we had 16, 17 guys and it was very easy for me to look at the data in the session, look at it after the training session, make sense of it, create reports, the whole deal. But when I actually, when I joined Hawking, I started doing like a, a side gig also with uh, Colby College, which is a division three school up here in Maine. And there's about, there's like 750 student athletes at that school. And there was two strength coaches when I started. We had two force plates, but obviously like the goal was to use force plates as frequently as possible. And I was used to collecting every test at Illinois. So I had 16 people making sense of it. I, I essentially had to, recreate a whole new system in order to fit the logistics of this new environment that we were in. So, you know, you first think, all right, can, do we have enough coaches that can collect every test? The answer is no, because there's one, one gym, two strength coaches, 750 athletes, and there's multiple teams training at the same time. So a coach can't be like, and there's no interns, like no other people assisting. So there's like, no, no coach can, just all right, you have this team, no one else is in the weight room, we'll jump test and then we'll run the floor. Um, so we really had to think of a way to actually collect enough data or collect data as frequently as possible. So what we ended up doing was we made like really good testing standard operating procedures, um, really clear for the athletes to see, pasted them on the wall, uh, QR codes so they can scan it, watch a, an eight second video of the test. Um, we put those on the wall, the place in front of it. We bought tablet stands. So the tablet sat in front of the force plate. Um, they had the instructions right in front of them on the wall also. Um, set a timer on the force plate. So it counted down three seconds. So they could actually hit play, step back, gather themselves, stand completely still and, and perform the test. So those were like all the things we set up around it. But we spent like the, the first month was tough, but we spent like, a lot of time instructing each athlete how to actually perform the test. So like we ran the test manually, it may have taken a little longer in the beginning, but over the course of like the next eight months, like we didn't have to collect a single test because they, they really understood why they were doing it, how they needed to perform the test. And then we also had the safety net of, all right, I forget how to do the test or whatever this day, the instructions are on the wall. Um, I can perform it. If you have a question there is someone in the room that can do it but the first year at colby uh we tested twenty nine thousand times so and we in the coaches we didn't really collect a test like after the first month so we had you know like twenty eight thousand tests that were collected by the athletes only um at colby college so it can be done um you just have to like really step back and rethink like logistics are first for everything. Like that's, that's the first question I ask any new person that says, Hey, like what test should we do? What metrics should we look at? How often should I test? Um, anything like that. I just try to figure out like, all right, we're like, how do you exist day to day? Like, what does that look like? 
Drake, tell me a little bit about just I want to get your opinion on how um, kind of the system that I do here and that we do here and just to kind of get your raw reaction to it and any advice that you might have on what we're doing good and, or bad or what you, we should do differently. So, um, you know, we do counter movement jumps and then drop jumps. Um, and again, I work with youth, high school and college athletes a lot, like Jared said, hundreds. So I've had to try to develop a system. So even what you're saying there is helping me just kind of my mind is running and racing on how I can do things better. Um, but what I decided was kind of the best thing to look at uh, was RSI mod, uh, average propulsive force, average braking force, uh, and then left-right uh, asymmetry on braking force and then uh, braking impulse. So I felt like using two or three or four of those, uh, or, or even all of them, depending on the athlete, their sport and age, is that a pretty good metric to kind of start with and then kind of develop a system based on that and then have training targets based on where their numbers are at and their trends over time? Is that a good way to do that, or could I do anything differently or better? Yeah, so I tend to start with, like, I'm, I'm just going to go over it and then we'll get back into your metrics, but, like, pick an output first. So, like, for you, are you looking at jump height as well? Not as much because of how convoluted jump height is in an athlete's mind. Um, you know, it's like if they jump on and they jump 17, they, they don't really understand the different metrics that force plates use as opposed to, you know, a jump mat or a vert, vertex and how that is used. So it, I, I see it without having to explain it as really discouraging. So that's one of the reasons I didn't use that particular metric. Yeah, like really quick in that regard, like – I keep it in meters for that reason. So like, and, and I also, it'll say like point, point four meters. Yeah. Um, what we would report to the athlete, like that, the guys at Illinois that would, would, you know, feel like, Oh, I jumped 17 inches. Like, no, nah, that's not real. I jumped 30 inches on this jump mat. Right. So we kept it in, in metric system. So if they jumped like point four meters, like we would say four Oh, so we know that's 40 centimeters, whatever it is in inches, but the athlete over time begins to create like a new idea of it's just like a number that they are on this assessment. It's not necessarily them jumping like 17 inches when they can think, Oh, that sucks. Like I'm, that's not real or I'm way down, whatever. We yeah, just like created that. like a new number for them. Um, if people don't love that idea, then I say, look at peak relative propulsive power. So that's an output metric. It's relative to their weight. And it's going to be like zero to a hundred. So it's just a new number. Again, you guys can call it relative power, but here's your output. Um, you don't have to use either of those. Like some, some people use takeoff velocity, which is the same as jump height in our system. Um, but for your case, if say you decide to use none of those, you just use modified RSI. Like I would call modified RSI your output in this right. case. Um, Average propulsive force, average braking force are your drivers. Um, and then you have two strategy metrics within those asymmetries yeah. that you said. I, I, you're looking at two asymmetries within the braking phase. I would just choose one. Um, okay. I prefer left right average braking force. Um, okay. That's like we could go into that conversation for 20 minutes if you want. But um but I would probably select like some time, like a time-based metric or a displacement. So time to take off or counter movement depth. Um, but what is that? Five. Yeah. I tend to, I tend to do a landing, like a, a peak relative landing force. I think it makes sense in the private setting also. Cause like, you know, you, 
you convince these athletes to come in for the assessment. We have this technology. It's really cool. Like we're going to show you your risk of, of injury, which I get in like a team setting. That's kind of like taboo words. Like we don't prevent injury. I get it, but you can look, there is force plate metrics and data you can look at and be like, I think that person, you know, I'm not saying they're going to get injured, but red flag. Yeah, definitely red flag. Like if they, if they have a left right average breaking force of, 20 plus percent and their breaking qualities, which you can conceptually think as their ability to decelerate are way less than their peers. Like if you have a hundred 13 year old girls in there, you've tested them all in the plates, you bring in the 101 girl, her breaking ability is way lower than the other 100. And she has 20% asymmetry. Like I could look at the parents and say, yeah, like your daughter's probably at a greater risk than the rest of these girls that I see. So totally, totally. That's a lot of value within just that session that you can provide to the the person and the the parent. And talk to me a little about the data because a hard part for me is the stats and the statistics that go behind it, meaning reliability. So, is there an easy way to think about um, uh, comparing data? Meaning, uh, is it z score? Is it standard deviation? Is it coefficient of variance? I mean, I kind of generally know those things, but I, I'm not. You know, I don't know those things really well. So can you give me or the the listener just some basic understanding of how to make sure your data is reliable? Yeah, we're actually going to have a, a really good video going up on YouTube, uh, maybe by the time this is out. But uh, Jacob Gooden at Point Loma, professor, he, he did a nice presentation on basics of stats within our, our system. Oh, cool. um, so we'll be putting that out pretty soon. But uh, very gentle. Like we offer a lot of different ways to show change. And this was a question I asked this, like when I was at Illinois also, when like, there's a million different ways to show change. You could look at standard deviation, uh, Z score, T score, percent change, uh, smallest worthwhile change, uh, probably more than that. But we, we give, um, Z standard deviation, T score and percent change. So we give those options because we know people prefer different ways to look at the data. Um, but then like you just said, it, it does become challenging because you don't know which one to use. Um, we'd rather give you more options and then say, hey, you know, like what we're doing now, this is how you you use it. So um, like very generally, like a Z-score of a, a 1.5, like that's what research will suggest as like a significant um, improvement or, or decrement. So um, if jump height goes up one and a half standard deviations over like two two different training blocks, like really good. If it goes, if jump height goes down one and a half senior deviations between say like uh, week one and week two within a season, like if we're looking at a monitoring, not so good. So then it's, that's your red, yellow flag that, hey, we need to change our course of action to try to get them jumping back to where they were. Um, preseason or whatever period of time we're comparing to. Um, you could also use like the percent change method. Um, I started out using this over the other ones, um, but like zero to 5% would be like that green. Um, five to 10% is yellow, 10% change is red. Um, both of those are available on our mobile app as soon as the test is collected. The the scoring is going to be within the the flagging. So the red, yellow, green traffic lights that appear next to each metric, the percent change is going to appear as an actual 
um, percent change metric. So got it. And that's basically and, in real time. It's in real time. Yeah. Like it, it happened within like, I mean, it's, it's not visible to the eye. Like it just, it, as soon as that test is comes through it, it appears on the screen. Um, it, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like that Hawking, the systems evolved a lot. Like when I was at Illinois, the percent change existed, but, um, I had like this massive Excel file built in the back end where after each day I would export the data, plug it in and it would calculate like smallest worthwhile change effect size. That's another one. Um, Z score, standard deviation, all of that. And, um, remember like after our first season, I, I did a trip with, uh, Chris and Ben, two of the founders out to LA actually. And I had my computer open and I was like doing some data for Fletch back at Illinois. And I showed Chris our developer and then like that we, he built, uh, the screen as you see today, which is like that post test screen, um, with all the metrics and everything and the different scoring options that exist. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to get, I know you said it could be a 20 minute talk and I don't want to take too much of your time, but I think one of the cool things about the force plates is that they're, um, unilateral. Um, I think the old school ones used to be kind of bilateral. Um, so just, you know, a little bit of talk into that kind of asymmetrical readings, um, you know, what, like, what are you looking for? What's a red flag? Um, and then kind of just deep as you want to go. I know that could be a five hour long presentation, but just kind of, you know, kind of a basics again, I, like I said in the beginning, I think a lot of people view force plates as complicated. And I think a, a big part of this podcast and I'm excited to get you on is to kind of just one, educate the, you know, the athletes that watch this, the youth and high school athletes that follow us. And then also the younger strength coaches or, you know, even some older strength coaches that are trying to get the plates going on, but they can't. So just kind of like a, you know, a base around, around that kind of asymmetrical aspect. Yeah. So the plates themselves, like they're single plates, um, but it would be a, a bilateral system. Um, so it's a set of force plates that you would get. Um, but a counter movement jump like that is the the most common assessment that is performed on our plates, anyone's plates. Um, historically, because plates cost more money, like they were just single systems. So you'll see like a lot of the research, it, it'll suggest like a single leg counter movement jump instead of that bilateral one so that they could actually assess the differences between the left and the right limb. But now that the force plates are bilateral like ours and some others um, you can really look at the bilateral task which is the the two-leg counter movement jump and assess compensation patterns between left and right limb without actually needing to do two single leg counter movement jumps there still is value within the single leg counter movement jump more so for me within the return to play setting um, but the the counter movement jump it's very easy to accomplish this is the two-leg one um, that's the one that you'll use most for, for monitoring. Um, really, like anyone that gets plays, I say just start using counter movement jump, collecting that. But the metrics that I more so care about within that bilateral counter movement jump for asymmetry are going to be within the breaking side. So um, there's a lot of research out there, like PTs, the, the first question they always ask is like, right, what? what a landing asymmetry metric should I look at? Um, I always try to push them into looking at breaking asymmetry first, uh, landing asymmetry second, because like when we think of a, an ACL injury, like if we're, if we're buying force plates to assess left and right difference, see the risk of someone 
or track them back to health. We're buying it because like we see someone go to cut and tear an ACL and we think that was when they landed and they tore it. We're really like they were going, to, they planted, they decelerated or they, they braked. And then there was going to be a transfer point, amortization before they push back away from the ground. So we're trying to, within that braking phase, like that's obviously out in the field, um, not a controlled environment, but we're performing a controlled counter movement jump that is very reproducible on our force plates. And we're looking at the braking phase to assess someone's ability to decelerate. So if I'm looking at an asymmetry metric, I want to look at like when that injury typically happens within that deceleration or that leg planting. So for me, and this, these are through, like, this is an open conversation we, Fletch and I had probably back in like 2017 or 18, but we were trying to answer this question too. What asymmetry metric do we care about? So we landed on uh, left, right average braking force. Um, there are some other really good practitioners that use a different, different metrics. Like um, Eric Renahan, he's now with Miami football, um, but he uses left to right braking impulse index still within the braking side. Um, but then there's there's other good practitioners like Matt Matt Jordan up in Canada. Um, he works with like alpine skiers. He looks at predominantly the propulsive. Um, I think in our system would be left right propulsive impulse index. So that is essentially the discrepancy of left and right limbs. It's an impulse, so it's an area of the two within the propulsive side. Um, so really, like two years ago. Um, I kind of made the connection that all of those metrics are kind of telling us the same thing. So left to right average braking force compared to left to right uh, braking impulse index, braking impulse index will always be higher because it's multiplying a force in a time. So that value is always going to be bigger. So the threat, like the thresholds that you use for what is an acceptable asymmetry can't be the same for left to right average braking force and impulse index. They have to be different thresholds. The system that I have set up is for braking, and that's the one that um, I share with all of our, our users here. Um, but then the one that Matt Jordan uses is more like the braking impulse index because it's it's that, but on the propulsive side, or the you conceptually think of it as like pushing away from the plate. Um, when we ran that those twenty nine thousand data points at Colby, I had the question of like all right, how close is this left to right average braking force metric compared to Matt Jordan's metric that actually has some some research behind it? So essentially just ran a correlation of all 29,000 tests with the metric that I liked, had used it, Illinois and Colby suggested users against the left to right propulsive impulse index. Basically like it was above 0.9. Like they're basically telling us the same thing. And that's because like when left to right average braking force ends, propulsion starts so like if that athlete has a high discrepancy in the braking and they end at a high discrepancy they're going to start when the propulsive impulse index metric is calculated so both are going to be high the same thing with braking impulse index if that is high throughout whole braking phase it's going to be high throughout the propulsion so i think a lot of people argue or suggest that their metrics better but i really think it's all telling us the same thing and it really just comes back to the system that we have in place to track that asymmetry. So for me, um, I break it into like two groups of athletes. Like do, 
have I had this athlete or do I know nothing about them? Like, do I have a body of data that says, Hey, um, Jared, your asymmetry is a four or we'll say negative four. So negative means you're favoring your right side in our system. You've tested 20 times. Your average is negative four. Um, that is who you are. I'll give you 10% either direction. So now if you go up to negative 14 or a plus too high, if you go the other direction, so negative four, um, minus 10. So what's that? Negative 14. I think I did the math wrong, but it's 10. It's a window of 10 either way. Right. You sway outside of that. That's too much. I asked the question, why? Data tells me, have the conversation, try to figure out why. If you're a new athlete, I know absolutely nothing about you. So a lot of times in the this private setting, um, like Lucas that you're in, now you guys are both in, but you bring someone in, you say, hey, we're gonna, we're just gonna accept that you're perfect. We're gonna say you're zero. I know nothing about you, nothing about your history. I'm gonna jump you. If you're plus 15 or minus 15 either way, consistently, that's too high. So then I will then I will label you as being a red, more of an at risk athlete if you're outside of 15. I find a lot of value in that in the private setting training teams like local club teams or whatever, bringing teams in and giving the coach or the club a report saying, hey, this is this is the this is the data that we see. Here's what we suggest for you guys. I think that could be a big sorry to cut you off, but I think that could be, you know, a, a cool way to use force plates in the private side training local teams. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's like uh, I call it like a combine setting. So like you're you're selling it as like we can identify the risk that your athletes might be before they start their offseason training and their season. You go out, you talk to that club or school, bring them in. They pay a fee. Um, you make a little bit of money, but you provide a lot of value saying, hey, you know, 10 of your your guys or girls on this team were above 15. Um, that is, that is what we would call significant here. Here's how we can correct that with our training, um, have them pay for more training. Jim makes more money. You can do this again for more people. Um, but you, that's like phase one, you could refine it even further. Say you've had these plates for, say you've had them for two years. You recruit a bunch of, of schools. You're, what you're essentially doing is building up uh, a database within your right. system, like in the area that you're at. So at that point, instead of saying that 15, like either direction is too much, we now say, hey, we have this database of a thousand linemen. Um, our average for alignment of, of this age is this value. So now that becomes our new set point. So like, as we said, Jared was negative four. We may notice that alignment typically has an asymmetry of negative two um, in your area for this age out of the thousand we've tested. So now it's it's ten either way from that negative two. So we use our 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 group um, as the norm for this new athlete that we know nothing about. That is, you know, relatively easy and a no brainer to me. If you have plates, you're in their private setting, and you have access to that, those athletes. That is a really cool and unique way, I think, to provide value and get more business and make more money. I know it's not about that, but you know, as a business, you want to maximize you know, the value providing and the money that you're making. I think that is a really unique, unique and relatively easy way to do it. Have you, do you have, you know, people that are doing that or, or coaches that are doing that right now? Yeah, there are some private gyms that are using the plates as like a revenue generating tool. 
um, like healthy baller, uh, Blair O'Donovan, yeah. um, Teddy strength coach therapy is their PT side, but they, they use the play. It's like, they take them to, there's like, uh, Blair just took them to like a AU volleyball tournament not that long ago. And he had like a booth, him and another trainer there, they set up, this is in the, the DC area. Um, yeah. but they basically said like free testing and all the girls that were at this volleyball event came tested on the plates. And the goal was to get, you know, try to get like 10% of them to come back to your facility. So, you know, I don't know if you paid to be at that event, but you pay like two, 300 bucks to be there. Um, you try to just capture 10% of those, those girls and you make your money back by, by being at the event. Um, you say it's not like you say it's not about the money and that's correct but like you can't you can't provide a service or value unless you have money to live so like it has to be about the money a little bit in order for you to keep providing the value you provide and if and if the value you're providing is real and true and tested and legitimate then why not try to maximize your revenue and and, and provide as much value as you can and make as much money as you can in a you know in an ethical way obviously that would be better because then you can help more athletes um Maybe on a different note, um, lastly, hamstring. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but Luke Story put something out in regards to hamstrings, and I think it was with Hawken. Um, did you see that? Um, or just generally, what is a, a, is a good way to use you guys' technology and products to assess hamstring strength? Yeah, I think um, the research on hamstrings, hamstring assessments on force plates is really new. Um we've been doing Nordics on force plates for probably three years now. We don't have a Nordic test, but you can use a free run mode, perform a Nordic. It's not a super robust way of doing it. Cause like, there's not a lot of things that are controlled for like the distance that the feet are locked in at so on and so forth. Completely possible. I think it will, I think it will be more well adopted. There'll be more technology or equipment to make that standardized in the future. Um, cause there was even, there was a research paper that came out not that long ago. Um, that was, it was talking about the hamstring devices and how actually measuring on a force plate would be a better measure, um, than these hamstring devices because hamstring devices, they measure ankle contact force, and then they are essentially indirectly making an assumption about the force that the hamstrings are, are putting out. Um, we can do it at the knee joint, like the force is going down into the, through the knee into the force plate, um, it might give us a better measurement or rating of, of hamstring assessment. But there are other hamstring assessments that aren't Nordics that you could do on the plate. So you could, I've seen a few, um, have like a list that I, I typically send out to people of, of research articles, but you could put the plates up on a, a box and you could sit, you could lay on your back and have your, your knee at 90 um, and you could press your heel the force plate sitting on top of the box, press your heel down into the plate. Um, that's right. an option. Um, you could also do more of like a, a distal assessment. You, you could stand tall. Um, t you, t you really have to control for like their back. So like they're not like leaning back and, you know, like they're standing tall. So you control for that in some manner, have the plate on the ground in front of them. Um, you would measure it out. I forget the distance, but uh, their leg is here and they're, they're again, driving their heel into the plate, into the center of it. So it's more of that long lever hamstring assessment. Um, you just have to control for their back, like not putting their whole weight into the plate at that point. Um, it's still like, it's, there's obviously con constraints and you have to do this in order for it to 
be more robust, but the point of it is you, it's entirely possible. If you have a system around it, you can do it with ease. Um, it'll get better. Like it will, but like force plates are still so new that we're just trying to like get really good at the things that exist on force plates, make those really easy, understandable for people first before we get into the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think my biggest takeaway is like getting the data. And I, I know me and you've talked about this so many times, but getting as much data as you can and then being able to like you have is, is have a data pool. I remember talking with you with John. I was always asking like, how does he compare? Like, you know, I know it's about the individual, but I'm also trying to look at other basketball players. Like, where does he compare at in that regard? Um, and I think listening today about that is like any point that you're getting, I think that's super valuable, especially in the private side. Because I think a lot of times parents come in and it's human nature to compare. Like, oh, how does my kid stack up against this kid? Or how does my kid stack up against his friend? And it's easy to say then within this group, age, sport, position, whatever, it's like this is where your kid stacks up. And the one thing I love about the force plates is they don't lie. It's like this is just – I'm not – it's not it's not me telling you something about your kid. It's just like this is his data and this is how we can now train in order to do what he needs to do in order to maybe be equal with the kids or get better or whatever that is. And I think that's, that's huge. And I think that's always been one of my crutches is like – I don't know, taking the time to do it instead of just saying like, like what you said about Colby college is like, just put the force plates out when the kids walk in or go through a little warm up. Hey, just go hit three jumps real quick. And then you start to build that data to win. Now you can even take it to high schools or whatever and say, I've tested 200 basketball athletes. I can compare all your kids to these kids. And this is what it's going to tell you. Um, I think that's huge. One of my biggest takeaways by far today. I, I will say like that, that is a huge value that private uh, facilities or gyms can provide is that um, instead of like you're at whatever college, that's the only data pool you can pull in. If you're a private facility, you can go out to all these high schools, colleges that are not played to say, Hey, we'll collect your data. You don't, you become like the data center for all of that data. And then you can use it to compare, provide value to uh, the parents or athletes you're trying to sell to. Um, whereas if you're at a college like that, that data is con- like, it's refined. It's, it is like you can't share it outside of that organization. So like there's really no comparing to other or clubs or anything, but you said like, I wanted to cover this real quick too. Like we, we do have norms, like some users opt in, we can, we've generated those values, but um, by request people can get them, but it's a super gray area. Like I hate that question when people are like, like (laughs) I'm sure we talked about this. Like, yeah, I I probably sent you some basketball data, that we have on some NBA teams and college teams. Um, I've collected that. I know I've collected it's, it's quality, but some people put out norms or say, Hey, this is what this level of athlete should be in the sport. But you don't really know where that, what that data set is that they're comparing to. Um, like I'm, I'm from, for example, like I'm from central Illinois, the, the caliber of, of 13 year old, basketball players is way different in central Illinois compared to where you guys are at. Like if I gave you, say I've collected 10,000 attempts on 13 year old men's or boys basketball players, central Illinois. And I was like, Lucas, here's my norms of this population. Use this to compare. Probably every single person you test is going to jump higher than that data set. So you're going to be feeding that information to the parent and they're going to be like, Oh, he's, he's great. Like why, what what more do we need to do? Um, I really encourage everyone that uses our system to generate their own norms. Cause like 
you can you can never get better than a large population of data that you've collected within your environment, within your region, within your sport, within your age, all of that. So I, I think that's great because I think the thing with, you know, my client was as the human nature, like, is this good? Who am I, who am I compared? Like, it, what, you know, whatever it is. So trying to have an answer to that is uh, I saw super valuable and then it almost makes it kind of competitive and then the intent goes up and then they jump better and then the numbers are, you know, more valid, um, all those type of things. So I didn't, I never really liked that question as well, but it's, I've noticed with like just human nature, like that, that's one of the first questions that always comes out. So your solution of like just test a lot and as many times as you can and just create your own norm in your area, then you could just say, yeah, I've tested 15 high school kids in this area and this is how you compare. You're the worst or you're in the middle or you're the best, whatever. So at least you give them something back. Um, I think it's great feedback. And really quick too, and I wanted to get your opinion on this as another maybe revenue generator for private facilities, but reaching out to local physical therapy clinics, because most, I would say most physical therapy, physical therapy clinics, if not almost all of them don't have force plates. Um, And I think a cool uh, revenue generator could be, hey, all of your lower extremity athletes that are coming back from injury or just had surgery, send them to me, I'll put them through uh, whatever whatever assessment you would want or whatever metrics you'd want to see, and I generate a report and send that to you, and you use that data for return to play, talk to their surgeon or whatever, because at least in the athletes that I train, a lot of ACL return to play, their, their surgeon is just basically going off timeline. Where What time are you out of surgery? As opposed to metrics that would be used more in a college setting or professional setting and using the real data to determine if an athlete is ready. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Because I think that could be a cool way to provide value and make connections and, and make money, um, you know, contracting out yourself to different physical therapy clinics for a return to play. Completely. And I think like everything you just mentioned is super valuable, but there's still going to be those PTs that are like, they're going to be scared of the data. And, and while you may say, Hey, like I'll help frame the data. Like I'll, I'll give you the, the end results. Like this is what I think. And then you just have to pass those on. Um, I think from like a business perspective, something maybe not you, but other, like anybody can offer too is like, yeah, we'll, we'll do these uh, assessments for you. But I also have this group of, 300 athletes that I see a month, if one of them gets injured, like we'll, we'll feed that into your physical therapy, um, right. practice. So like you're, you're exchanging clients, um, as well, like you're providing value, but you're also exchanging, like they make money when they see more patients, you make money when you see, when you provide this assessment or train their athletes. So that's almost like a, a way to get that relationship established. Um, because it can be scary, especially with like the physical therapy clinical market, they're way more scared of this information than like the performance strength coach market. Like there, there are some really good clinicians out there, progressive PTs, but overall the, the way that they've been like trained within their schooling is essentially to follow like the fall protocols. So if something gets thrown in, that's not within that protocol or that they, haven't learned, like it does become very frightening. So there has to be some sort of like soft intro into that market. Um, if you are, if you do have a training business and you're trying to collaborate with a PT and using the, the data as like some value. 
Uh, yeah, totally. And I think lastly, um, this is something I wanted to ask you about, and I'm not sure if you can go into it or not, but as far as the NFL combine, you know, there's a big conversation right now for the 40 um, and the timing and how they time it. And I guess there's a controversy around that a little bit. Um, and I, and I totally understand, you know, the, the TV, the, the, the numbers and kind of how they sell it and how they uh, market the 40 and all that. But as far as, you know, the vertical jump in the Vertec, why do you think the NFL has not um, standardized it to the technology we have today? Is it kind of the same reasons as far as marketing and numbers and kind of selling that um, to the fans? Or, you know, have they? Because I noticed you were at the Combine this year. Um, if you can get into that a little bit, that'd be, that'd be I think, really cool to hear. So we, we were at the Combine this year. Um, I can't speak on it too much just because we, ha- we have an agreement where it doesn't really allow me to, to talk much on it. But um like the they took their they posted pictures on on twitter or whatever so it's like not a secret that we were there but um we were we were sitting right next to the vertex so essentially they would jump on the vertex they would walk over to the force plates they would test right there on the field um two attempts and then they would go right to the broad jump so it was a part of of everything this year where previously like it they were doing some force play testing at the combine, but it wasn't like in the actual, like on the field part of what the whole show is of the combine and the testing and everything. So it was, it was really cool. And like, it was like, it it really shows that they're, they're thinking that there are better ways to collect this data. Um, Now I get like the combine, it probably generates a lot of, a lot of revenue for the NFL. So like it, it does need to be, you know, a show it doesn't need to feed the fans a little bit so they can make the money, but it on the back end and and the reason why the combine started in the first place was it does provide a lot of value to the scouts, um, the strength coaches, where like with the technology that they're using now, like up until this year, they were basically just getting like output metrics. So they were just getting like jump height, they get like there's there is a ten yard split now in the the uh 40 so that's that's good um but they're really output metrics they're not really telling us how the athlete achieved that output or like what was great like both these guys jumped say they jumped 25 inches on the plates but how did this one achieve it differently could this could we look under the hood if we use force plates or if we used a different 40 timing uh device and could it could it highlight something that would put them at risk like like Guys, they're in their investments. Like their teams are putting millions of dollars into these players. Um, they don't want to make a bad investment, just like we put our money into the stock market or whatever. Like we don't want to lose money, make a bad investment. They're doing the same thing at a much higher, much higher level. So um, just how we might look at, you know, forecasting of a stock and say, all right, this this index fund's been around for five years, like it's got good performance. We're looking at that data, comparing things that are similar to it. Let's put $100 into it a month, whatever. Like teams, they can now look at driver metrics, strategy metrics, and help them make better investments um, on those individuals or or athletes that they're going to draft. So it is being more, it is being adopted. Like this year was was proof of that. Um, We're going to do some other combines as well this year. I think it's still a couple years away um, from like truly being adopted, but it, it's getting closer. And like, that's really all we ask for. Like that's, that's why 
like that's why I'm doing what I that's why I got into this space and got out of, of coaching and in sport like day-to-day sport science with the team is because I I had good success with it when I was doing that I saw the value and I, I wanted other people to experience that as well so it's coming it just takes time like anything else yeah I mean I think that's awesome and I, I 100% agree with it and that, that was a perfect answer and that's awesome to hear that it's getting in there um my last note off the physical therapy was um and just to put it out there is I don't think people understand is that you could just do like bodyweight squats and stuff on the force plates <laughs> I don't think people always hear force plates and they're like you could jump but you could also do I mean you'd go I and mean, there's you could do pretty much almost any movement on them just to just to look yeah I mean stand up on it squat um hamstring stuff like you said so you know, in that conversation with the physical therapy places, I think that's, I've had one of them where the guy was like, well, you just jump on them. And I'm like, well, you could have, you know, have someone just squat on it and look at that metrics, do, you know, different stuff. So just, just wanted to make that note because I think I, I fully believe in them. And I think there's a lot more that people don't see that they offer um, all the time. Because you, a lot of times I think for social media, people go on, they see it and they see NFL, NBA guys jumping on them and they're like, oh, that's so sweet so cool but that's not applicable to me but when you start to kind of look under the hood of what Hawkins offers I think there's a it's applicable from you know an older individual that just wants to get assessed all the way to the highest level athlete absolutely yeah like we like I've put my 84 year old grandfather on there and had him do like balance test um kind of like research and development but I just wanted to see you know I can stand on the fourth plate and balance and this is it doesn't look much different, but if you actually get someone that is in that population, like elderly risk of falling, put them on the plates, like his forced time curve, you're just standing still on the plate on one leg is drastically different than mine. So like there is a lot of value, whether it's balance, sit to stand, um, body weight squats, even just post injury, like getting on the force plate, the bilateral system and just standing still. And looking to see if, all right, they just had an ACL reconstruction. Are they even standing still on this affected limb? Yes or no? You're just using the plate to answer that question. It's just a flat line. And you'll see, all right, left force is here. Right force is here. They're applying 40 newtons less on that affected limb post-surgery. Like that's that's value that you provide. It's not a, that you're getting from it. Um, it's not a job. It doesn't have to be a high demand task on the plates cool well we appreciate you taking the time um i want to the listener just to be able to to know to find you can you kind of share what your social media handles are yeah um probably most active on instagram um so strength two dot speed uh that's the, the that's kind of my side business that i've had for a while now um instagram or uh twitter it's just dburb 23 um slowly becoming more active on that uh, then I have a, a LinkedIn as well. I think it's just my name. Um, and then really anywhere that you see Hawking, Hawking content as well. Um, like been generating a lot of that, that stuff since I've, I've joined, um, social medias, blogs, um, do some, some talks at different events and stuff like that. Yeah. I encourage everyone to go follow you on Instagram because you're constantly posting. You're just, I think you're just trying to push the envelope in R and D and just kind of the different ways to use the plate. So I've learned a lot just from following you. I think it's been cool to see and um, just makes me think more, you know, so I encourage you guys to go uh, follow on uh, Instagram. So thanks again for taking the time and uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. 
Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate you, sir.